0: About that. Okay, let's go back to chapter 5 and we're just going to read 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it, took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Now we'll move on to chapter 6 and we will read verses 1 and 2. When the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. On to verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the Ark, they rejoiced at the sight. We will go on to verse 21. Then they sent messages to the people of Kiriath-jearim saying, "The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town." Now we will read all of verse 7, chapter 7. So the men of Kiriath-jearim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill. And consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at kiriath Jearim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord And serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel to Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted and they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Please keep your Bibles open.
1: Thank you very, very much. Now I think Natalie is going to be uh, uh, heading out. Uh, now, there's possibly someone there you might like to go with Natalie. There's a special children's Bible meeting. Be all right? There you are. Um, they've got a very secret corner there, but they're going to be learning the same part of the Bible that we're learning, and then they'll come and tell us what they've learned. Um But we're going to be learning too, and if the learning isn't so easy, because I've been very unclear, then when I've stopped talking, you can start talking and ask any question or uh, say anything you like. So it's that kind of relaxed um, way we're going to learn the Bible tonight, okay? But mainly we're going to be learning from 1 Samuel. Now, here's the question as we start, how will an estate like ours get to know if God is real? How an estate like ours get to know if God is real? I suppose one simple answer is we go out and we tell them that he is. And we're trying to do that and we're inviting people to come and find out for themselves. But where will people actually see God doing something? I to suggest it's actually in the lives of his people, Christians today, in a church that is near to them. And that's why we're going out with our invitations to bring people in so that they may not just understand that God is real from what we say but they'll understand God is real from what they see in the way that he is with his people. Now, The strange thing is that it's not as straightforward as most people might think. In 1 Samuel chapters 5 to 7, the outsiders of the time, they were called Philistines in those days, they learn about God through his dealings with his people, but they learn about him through their defeats as well As their success. And so they learn about God through defeat and through their success. And God's people in this part of the Bible were both defeated and were successful at a place called Ebenezer. And we're going to be learning about the defeat and we're going to be learning about the success as we look at this story about Ebenezer. First, we're going to learn about the way that uh, it meant defeat. Now, you might think, hold on a minute, I just read chapter 7, verse 12, and it spoke about Ebenezer being big success. Ah, but did you notice, chapter 5, verse 1, what happened there? Where the Ark of God the battle was lost at a place called Ebenezer. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Ebenezer was where their camp was when they fought against Israel. In uh, chapter 4, verse 1, if you have a look, uh, the Israelites were camped at Ebenezer. So they got the Ark from there, and then they took it to their own place. Now let me tell you that this is defeat. In fact, it is the biggest defeat you will read in this part of the Old Testament. There is a bigger knockout punch later by another enemy country that came in and this time hurt God's people so badly they took their country away from them and they moved God's people into another place called Exile. But until that day happened at the end of the Old Testament, this is the biggest defeat the Old Testament will tell us about. It's so bad that the whole country said, that's it, God's finished with us. The glory of God has departed. That's what they said at uh, the end of chapter 4. And um, this is the big defeat that made them say that. And the sign of their big defeat is that they lost their ark. Now, if you've been around the way we do it in this church, is we go from one bit of the Bible to the next, and so you would have heard last week and the week before that the ark of God was a box three and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet high, and it was gold-covered. And just to make sure those who were here... Uh, were awake at the time what did the ark have in it? yeah Abraham's staff his walking stick that got flowers yeah something else? the ten commandments and then the third thing manna a jar of manna that they had in the wilderness so uh, they're all signs of God's favour being with his people so when they have the fight against Philistines, they take the ark to battle with them. Except the ark got captured. God wasn't favoring them anymore, and they said the glory of God had departed. So what these outsiders, these Philistines, actually saw was that God had defeated His people, and uh, the ark was captured at Ebenezer in chapter 5 verse 1 now initially these guys thought that they did it it was their muscles and so they took the ark they put it in their trophy cabinet of that god called Dagon in chapter 5 and then poor old Dagon took a tumble put him back on his perch and he took a bigger tumble the next day and it was a humpty dumpty god he kind of broke into bits now That's a good thing to see because chapter 5 wants to make the point that the fact that God defeats his church doesn't mean that he is not able to glorify himself when there isn't any church around. Okay. Now the Israelites were the church of the Old Testament so whenever you read of Israel, think church helps us to make the link and God does that even when there's no church around by dismantling the idols of the Philistines now what I'm saying is that this has all got big lessons for the watching non-Christian world today as well as for us and and the reason why we're learning these lessons in the Bible is because, as we saw last week if God has got to teach us something he will put it here there is no point God duplicating himself and saying go there and there and there for the same message when it is written down nice and clear for us to understand here so we can learn all we want to learn about God from the Bible And the lesson that our watching world has got to learn is that God does defeat his church when they get it wrong. And what happened, the way they got it wrong in Samuel's time, again the sermons are on the websites if you want to read and listen to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3 especially uh, you see how the church at that time was immoral Uh, their two guys Eli and Hoffney, were sleeping around and they were also into religion in a big way but not actually life changing it just kind of kept the wheels of religion turning that's what their job was to do as far as they were concerned now God was uh, going to destroy the church that got him wrong in that kind of way and it is actually I think important To see that when God does this, he does it more than once in history. He does it here, but he keeps doing it. He destroys what is rotten, and he starts again. And that's uh, what we're going to be uh, understanding as well. I think God is doing that. The watching world sees him doing that. With the ancient historic denominations that we've got in our country it seems like he is dismantling them. So, for example, the Roman Catholic Church has had its fair share of uh, child sex abuse scandals, and uh, the Church of England is talking about how it might live with uh, gay marriage, and uh, to keep that uh, as part of our understanding of covenant love. Now, both those denominations... Um, are uh, unhelpful I think in terms of what they tell us about sexual practice but also they kind of keep the wheels of formal religion turning and uh, that's what they did in Israel at the time of Samuel as well and it's really important for our watching world to see God destroying religion that misrepresents him Uh, it's an eye-opener and it's important so yes, God does destroy the church, but it is also important for the watching world to see that actually God is destroying the idols that people want to uh, uh, get their happiness from uh, as well. And secular Britain, like the Philistines, might think, hey, we've got, to get, got, got rid of God all by ourselves. We put God in our place, where we want him. But God is well able to show people that uh, there are idols, those things that uh, give their lives meaning. An idol is something that ultimately makes you wake up in the day and um, gives you a purpose for your life. Uh, an idol is something where if it's taken away from you, you're gutted because everything falls apart. Uh, you built your life on that. Whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be a wooden little statue thing. It could be um, work, kids, family, whatever the big deal is for us that we live for. But God is well able to, uh, in different ways, show us that that idol can be a massive disappointment when we put our life energy into that. So it's sad, isn't it, this last week to read about... uh, Kennedy, um, Charles Kennedy, uh, who died uh, last Monday. Great guy in lots of ways, but uh, clearly I think politics was what he lived for. That was his god, his idol. And initially it seemed like he was really good at it, became leader of the Liberal Democrats, and um, was, was clearly a guy going places. But then what happened is the story unfolded, his marriage ended, uh, alcoholism, I think, is an escape route that people grab if life is unbearable and sad, and um, it, it's a, sort of a, a, a bit of a, I'm not happy with uh, the way my life is. Uh, and I think that, in the end, uh, was why he died and his God was finally broken when he lost his seat at the last general election last month. Now, you see, that's what happens when we put our effort and energy in something. Uh, God always makes sure that we are disappointed by that. And so God can deal with people in their own homes, breaking up what uh, their treasure and prize, just like he did behind closed doors In Dagon's temple, in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And so it's not just that God destroys uh, the church that gets him wrong, the church, uh, God can also destroy uh, the world, if you like, when it puts his trust in the wrong things and shows them that that uh, isn't altogether helpful. So God does uh, defeat, and we've seen that. Uh, In uh, 1 Samuel chapters uh, 5 and 6 especially. But equally it's true that uh, Ebenezer is about victory in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Because what you see in 1 Samuel chapter 7 if you have a look at that is that there's a change of heart and now the Israelites want to turn back to God and in verse 12 Ebenezer Uh, comes to be a place associated with great victory when Samuel to Custod said between Mizpah and Sharon named Ebenezer saying thus far the Lord has helped us now it's such a turnaround isn't it if you know uh, what happened Israel as I said the church were strong when they went into battle in chapter 4 and they met the Uh, The Philistines were also very strong. And uh, they were there uh, ready to fight them in chapter 4. And it it is astonishing. Although Israel at that time were really strong, they lost 30,000 people, infantrymen, in chapter 4. We read that battle uh, whenever it was uh, that we covered it. Now 30,000 people for a small country at that time was a massive hit and so although they had lots and lots of people on their side those people were altogether destroyed and yet now they win not because they've come out even bigger this time they're actually quite smaller and they are still small and they're still afraid if you see verse 7 um Uh, the rulers, the Philistines, came to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And yet they won this battle this time, not because they were bigger, not because they got some new secret weapon that their factories had made and turned out, not because they had a great general to command them like Monty. No, this time they won the battle because of uh, one thing and one thing alone. In verse 2, You can see what they did. At the end of verse 2 it says. Then all the people of Israel. Turned back to the Lord. And so they win. With a smaller force. Even though the Philistines. Are as big and bad and strong. As they ever were. And they're spoiling for a fight. In the way that they were in chapter 4. And they want that. uh, victory against the Israelites again. Now, we think that the church is going to get stuffed depending on the size of what the opposition is. And we can think, well, if there's a big enemy that the church has got to fight against, no wonder the church is going to lose. And very often we tend to think like that. There was a great Christian preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, way back In the 1950s, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when he was speaking on this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7, he said, you know, we think today that the reason why the church is weak is because the Philistines are strong. So the Philistines, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, had discovered the motor car now had any number of other distractions that they could drive to and could take up their time. So no wonder the church was at a low ebb, because the Philistines were so strong. That's how people were thinking. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that is not actually what makes or breaks the deal. What makes or breaks the deal is whether God is with his people to give them success Because then, however big the enemy might be, however large the distractions, whatever the pressures may be, God's team will come through and bring him uh, the glory that is his. And very often, actually, God whittles down the numbers, if you read the Bible, to make sure that even when his people are small, the message is learnt that uh, God is able to deliver uh, victory uh, in wonderful ways. And here they win with a smaller force, even though uh, the Philistines were just as big as they were in the past. But this time they win because they do what Samuel tells them to do in verse 3. So Samuel said to all the Israelites. If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver the Philistines out, uh, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and the Asherahs and they serve the Lord only. Now, it's very easy for us to catch part of that. You'd expect pastors, wouldn't you, everywhere to say, now, guys, we've got to... Uh, Pray to God and we've got to confess our sins. Well, it's easy for us to have a prayer. But notice what is at the heart of what Sam is saying. What's at the heart of his saying is, rid yourselves of the foreign gods. So they put away their bells and their asherahs and they served the Lord only. So the bales go out of the window. Now in case um, you don't know what these bales were because you've never come across them before, let me say that they were the kind of fertility gods that they had in those days. So they were the things that gave you kids and crops. So here are Israel. They say that they believe in the true God And after all, they've got the ark back in their possession, so they should. But they also say, well, we still need uh, these other things to help us put food on our plate to make life work. We need these other uh, uh, things that we need to be attending to in order to... uh, survive and live life and get by. So it is strange, isn't it? Here are the Israelites, they claim to follow this one God and yet they're still kind of going after the things that are important to the people that are around them. They want the same things. And let me tell you, the Baals, the gods of the land around the people of Israel were also a heck of a lot more exciting Okay, they were the fertility gods. So therefore, they were into the big times. Uh, They were in for the good times. Whereas everything else was all about restraint and holding back and not doing certain things. But the Canaanite gods, they gave you license to do most of what you wanted to do. Uh, They were happy with that. So they were the exciting gods to be following. And... They were uh, not just uh, uh, those who uh, uh, provided good times in that way, they were essentially giving people what everybody else wanted at that time. Now, you ask yourself today, what is it that our nation turns to when it wants a good time? But probably loads of different things, but let's just take uh, the whole world of music. It's interesting, when I was going visiting this afternoon, you probably heard that too, because windows were open. Uh, there's a lot of music coming from everywhere. There was a guy, a couple of lovely people, uh, clearly had done their gardens brilliantly, and were resting, uh, uh, enjoying the sun. And then this car turned up, and it was going boom, 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 boom with all the bass going full volume uh, as much as they could and I walked up with my little leaflet and I said uh, uh, sorry to interrupt uh, your siesta Uh, I bet you've just sat down and thought how quiet it is Um, but I've got good news for you the bloke with the music has still got his engine on Uh, so you might be left in quiet yet Um, but have a read of this while you're waiting for them to go Uh, so music is really a big thing and that's just essentially how people um, Britain's Got time. it's all about music isn't it there's a lot of things that actually we look there for our happiness so what do we get? we get brilliant singers fantastic PA systems and the music is out of this world so how does the Christian uh, copy that? well we want to put up services where... We have brilliant PA systems and wonderful musicians around in the band and uh, fantastic uh, singers uh, giving us the lead. It is interesting, isn't it, how much store we put on that. There's a Nigerian church called KICC that um, was thinking of relocating in Dagnam. And the minister of a Pentecostal church in Dagnum, uh Pahas, uh, he told all the ministers in Dagnum, guys, you've got to get your act together with your music, otherwise your church will leave you and go and join KICC when it arrives. Now, that's the bale of Pentecostalism, I think. You know, it's just the music that is everything. And uh, where, uh, that is seen to be the answer. Now, compared to that, Bible life... Seems to be so dull, doesn't it? Look, what's Samuel got to offer when they put away their gods? Yes, he offers them a great victory, but that's just one day. The chapter ends in uh, chapter 7 by telling us the vast majority of Samuel's time was making sure God's word was heard. So he had a little circuit in verse 16 to make that word known. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. Now, we could look at that word judge and think that he's got a little judge circuit going around from place to place, settling disputes. But right from the word go, we're told that Samuel was there not to go and stop people fighting with each other. He was there to teach people what God had to say. Now we understood that in chapter 3 and verse 19, if you remember. Just glance back to page 274. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to, to Samuel through his word and Samuel's word came to all Israel. That's the kind of leader that he was. He's, he's that kind of leader in chapter 7 because they go to him, not with a legal dispute to solve. Uh, in chapter 7 verse 3, Samuel is teaching people how to turn back to God. That's his job. And so when he's going to all these different places that's what he's doing. He's bringing God's word so people understand what a great God they have that they might confidently serve him. Now it's nowhere near exciting as bear worship but that's what we always need drip feeding us all the time. Because it's not true to say that all you do is sit down once and you get someone explain to you what Christianity is about so you get it right between the ears and you're set up, you've got the gist of it, off you go. No, life is like driving a car. You need to constantly have your hand on the steering wheel because if you let go of the steering wheel the car will actually drift in one direction and take you off the road. And even if you've got a car that can go in perfect strange lines, I don't think there is one made yet. But if you could find one, the minute you hit a bump, the steering will be affected and you'll be driving again in uh, a different uh, direction uh, to the road. So it is uh, important that uh, we need to hear God constantly speak to us. And turning to the Lord means that we turn away from those aspirations and dreams the world has and commit ourselves with a new concentration to listening to what God has to say to us through people like Samuel in the Bible and encouraging us to have massive, massive confidence uh, and to love the Lord Jesus Christ because he is such a great God. We don't need help from anywhere else we can just live for him so that's what it means to turn back to the Lord so what that really helps us to do as we think about it tonight is if you're someone who's brand new to Christian things and you're wanting to find out uh, what it's all about But it is easy, isn't it, to look on the estate and to think that the state, of the church on Beck Tree is really quite weak, or even to pick up the newspaper like I did this week and to read how something like two million people have stopped going to the Church of England in the last year. I'm never quite sure where they get their numbers from, but the drip feed message of the world is that the church is just fading away, getting old, dying. Well, the Bible tells us that seeing that happen may not be proof that there's just no God around. It could be proof that there is a God around and he is dismantling a church that doesn't represent him well. But also, if you're new, don't simply have eyes to see that actually what's happening in the weakening church could be God's hand or to see that what's happening in your weakening life can be God's hand where we go after wrong things and we find that uh, uh, God is showing us that those wrong things are a disappointment and they don't add to the happiness and they, in fact take it away. So lead those things and turn back to him. This is a great time to do that. And see the difference that God will make. But what happens if you know the church scene well? And you've always been on God's side? My friends, have you noticed from this little chapter how easy it is to say, yeah, I'm on God's side, but equally to go for other stuff alongside that, like the bears and the asherahs that these guys did in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Do you notice how long it took them... To get rid of those bales? Because if you look at chapter 7... The ark had been there... uh, Chapter 7 verse 2... They'd got it in their possession... For 20 years... So they've got God... And... Opportunity to look back on his favour... And to live with him alone... For 20 years they've had this opportunity, but yet they've kind of kept two systems going in their minds. It just goes to show, doesn't it, it takes a very long time for someone to get the world out of their system. And turning to God means very often, I think, when people come from a church background, that they need to unlearn what they've learned in the past. To understand what the God of the Bible is like. Who is probably quite different. But what happens if you're somebody who generally wants to live for God alone? And you're concerned that we're really quite small to do that. I mean look around you, we're, we're not a big bunch are we? We're a small fry compared to the size of our estate. And it's very easy to see the wagon to go under very soon in an estate like this. The Philistines are much too strong. Well, isn't it great to know that size doesn't count? But where we want to seek God and really, really follow him and to put our entire trust and confidence in our love and to focus it on him, isn't it good to know? that uh, he can win with those who want to shape their lives around his word so I must just actually if you wanted a good strategy to go out and win a estate you can't get a better one than this can you let's, come, let's really stay close to God and let's just love him so much that there's no room for the other things that we might cling to for our happiness instead well let me just finish that let me pray and then We'll take questions uh, and uh, see if uh, there are comments that uh, you'd like to make uh, in the light of that. Let me just pray first and then we'll look at that. Our gracious Father, we are so uh, so, uh, grateful to you because you are so gracious to us that you both defeat and give victory to your people. You defeat what is false. And we need you to do that because otherwise our stubborn hearts would never turn back to you. But please, will you do this same gracious work in our day? Will you enlarge the confidence of your small church so that we may reveal your greatness to those whose idols you will break up on our estate? in order to bring them to you. Please help us to have confidence in you that will make a difference to them for the great glory of your name. Amen. Amen.